You know, he's a, a one-of-a-kind coach. You know, I love him to death. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to start. Um, you know, one of my favorite head coaches I've ever had in my life. I um, have a lot of respect for him, and I'm glad that he's here with me. You know, the winning Super Bowl is all about consistency. And I think that's what this locker room building uh, day in and day out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 71 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Joining me from Vikings.com is Chris Corso and Jay Nelson. This is the week 14 edition. And more importantly, it is the in control of our own destiny somehow edition. The Vikings squeak out, and I guess it was a win-win against the Jacksonville Jaguars, while the Cardinals take a loss against the Rams and the Vikings are officially in charge of their playoff destiny as they head into a game with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Later in the show, Chris Corso is going to talk with Vikings linebacker Todd Davis. Eric Smith is going to check in with Casey Phillips from the Bucs. Uh, but before we get to all of that and before we get to the Buccaneers, let's real quick take one more moment to walk through Sunday's game against Jacksonville, uh, a game that – it was, I said this on another show, guys, it was a dichotomy. It was, you had, take Kirk, for example, who we talk about a lot, and, and the offense. They had these moments of brilliance, these great plays, these sustained drives, and then oops, pick six, oops, goal line fumble, oops, inability to execute. It was this odd mixture of really, really, really impressive and really underwhelming and I've, I've heard opinions fly, Chris, from every different corner about what this, team, what this win means and how you should have won the game and this and that. The reality is they won the game. And, and if we're playing for a playoff spot in week 17, all that matters is that we won this game. But it was an interesting dichotomy of a performance. Jay, did I use that word right? Dichotomy. Correct. I'm the smartest man in the world. Take it away, Chris. I thought we agreed that we were just going to move on and not talk about this game at all since we actually won. <laughs> we're going to talk about a few things. I just I, – here, let, let me lay out the three things. Great drop-in, by the way. Let me lay out the, the few things that I thought were really, really, really important. One, teams are – and the Jags confirm this, but teams are blitzing Kirk Cousins. We are at the point in the season where everybody understands how good Dalvin Cook is. And in the last few weeks, we have seen teams absolutely bring it in attacking Kirk Cousins. And now you're walking into a Buccaneers game next week with one of the best, if not, I believe, the best rushing defense in the NFL. It's, it's really interesting to see how even a Jacksonville Jaguars team that was literally last in the league in sacks could get pressure on Kirk Cousins uh, via our offensive line. I agree with that, Cy. I cannot believe the amount of pass rushers that went and hit Kirk cleanly without even being hedged or touched or, or whatever um, by a Vikings offensive lineman. And and I think it's going to have to be against the Bucks. looking forward. As much as I want to look forward and not even think about this Jaguars game, I think it's going to have to be a mix of the offensive lineman playing better but also Gary Kubiak using that mastermind that he has to literally just 
create plays where Kirk can get rid of the ball quicker because you're not going to be able to to sustain the season that we are sustaining with Kirk Cousins getting hit the way he did during that Jaguars game. I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways I have from the Jaguars game is the amount of times he got absolutely shelled, like drilled to the ground. Like I am so shocked how Kirk Cousins stays healthy. Well, and for a team that was one of the worst in the league, if not the worst, at putting pressure on the quarterback, that's the shocking thing. What that says to me is that is going to be the play going forward. That says to me, hey, we know Delvin Cook's good. We're going to do our best to stop him, but it's time to go after this quarterback regardless of what else we're preparing for, Jay. Yeah, and I think you also you saw the, the dichotomy of the two weeks that we just played where Carolina tended to sit back a little bit more, and you saw Kirk just absolutely slice and dice up that defense, especially when we needed it. And with Jacksonville, they were doing a lot of a lot of stunts, a lot of twists and delayed blitzes. And when they were doing that, it was given some fits to our offensive line. And, you know, maybe part of that is is credit to the fact that Ezra Cleveland had been out. It was his first game back, even though dealing with an injury and maybe there was some issues with line calls, et cetera, et cetera. But what it really came down to was you're right. Once you get pressure there, you see how much that game tightens up versus what we dealt with with Carolina. So if if you're opposing defenses at this point, you know you have to get in Kirk's face. Otherwise, he's going to slice you up the way he's been doing it all November. Uh, Justin Jefferson had another. I mean, both receivers played fantastic. But Justin Jefferson is getting, Chris, all this deserved credit. And you're seeing all the player comparisons. You can't go on Twitter without seeing Justin Jefferson is the first rookie since so-and-so to blankety-blank. It's nonstop. The most recent one is he has become the fifth player in NFL history to record 1,000 receiving yards in his first 12 games. The other four guys, Randy Moss, Anquan Bolden, uh, Colston, and Odell Beckham Jr. Here's what I've been thinking about a ton. It's the purple thing. It's the yards things. He gets a lot of the Chris Car- or excuse me, the Randy Moss comps. You know, I understand that, but God, he just reminds me. And I know I've said it on the show before, but he becomes more and more apparent every single week. He reminds the, the Anquan Bolden comparison. You know, I know the the, the Odell uh, Beckham Jr. is a, is a sexier name, and uh, Randy Moss is an obviously sexier name. But Anquan Bolden Jr., I don't know if people remember how dominant he was in his rookie season. In his first career game, Bolden hung 217 yards and two touchdowns on the Detroit Lions. I mean, he was an absolute monster that played all over the field and all different different positions. It's, it's a lot like what you see Jefferson doing here. Jefferson has these big days. They're not just in the slot. They're not just on the outside. It's not just a possession reception. It's not just a catch and run. It's not just getting behind the defense. He's just doing everything that's asked of him. And his ceiling, I, this is crazy because Bolden was a hell of a receiver. Jefferson could be a different sort of special. Jefferson could be a thing that isn't seen a lot in this league. You know, we saw that in Chris Carter, who could get behind guys, play play uh, a possession reception. He could, he could catch the ball and run. He's a different sort of dude here. And it's every week, to me, it becomes more and more apparent how similar he is to, to Bolden. And, and his usage has been on par 
uh, very similar uh, to what the Cardinals did with Bolden early on. Yeah, to me, it's the confidence. Like, he has a confidence of a 10-year veteran. I was listening to him join Jim Rome um, this week, and, and he's getting, obviously, all of the national exposure at this point because he's breaking records every week. But he said, Jim Rome asked him, he, he's like, did you think it would be this easy in the NFL compared to college? And he's like, to be honest, yeah, I mean, I, I want to answer this question pretty humbly, but it definitely is pretty easy. <laughs> like, he he... The, the level of competition he had to go up against in college um, at LSU with Joe Burrow and, and playing the Alabamas and the SEC opponents of the world, I think it prepared him so well to have 18 touchdowns last year for one of the best teams in the country. And now he's doing, uh, doing it on the NFL level, and he hasn't even missed one step. I think the only step he missed was when Kirk Cousins didn't realize what he had in him in the first two games. Or, or you could even say Gary Kubiak didn't realize um, what they had in him in the first couple games because he was lining up in that slot position the first two games and, and never really had the opportunity um, to start at the X spot, which is what Kirk always says when he talks about the way Justin has really enhanced his game over the past 10 games. So when you talk about 1,000 yards in 12 games, it's really like a thousand yards in ten games, which is even more amazing. And, and for a guy that plays this way, Jay, this style, the other thing that's staggering is his slender body. A guy who plays this style of football is going to fill out. He's he's going to be. He can play this style and put some muscle on him and be an even harder guy to bring down. And that should be terrifying to the rest of the league. Hundred percent, and that was the thing. When everyone brings up the Anquan Bolden comparison, for me, I always kind of go, eh, "It's a little apple and oranges," because Anquan was a beast. And if you remember, he was just an absolute tank. And you're, it, he wasn't to the level of DK Metcalf, but he was the guy who looked like a grown man coming in as a rookie. Jefferson's coming in kind of on the Randy Moss line, where he was kind of the skinny, long, you know, long wide receiver. But the thing that Jefferson, I think, has. And that is is pushing him above where everyone thought he was going to be, especially at this stage, is he is so technically crisp that it is absolutely noticeable. And he does the small things like all of the the breakdowns that are happening are showing, you know, the eyes lie. There's there's that that saying that the eyes lie with wide receivers. So don't watch where their eyes go. And he's knows he's going deep to the right. He's running left and looking like he's going to get the ball that way and shifts on a dime and gets back over. Because he's doing those small technical things, the veterans are saying, wait, this isn't a normal rookie because this guy is burning me with something that a, a four or five, six year vet normally has to learn to pick up. And I think for Justin coming from the family that he did, having the brother who was a corner, have another brother who was a quarterback, and then going to places like an LSU and working with the top tier, like Corso said, I think Justin up to this point has distilled down into his game a, an absolute perfect rookie season so far. And the the like you said, I think that the exciting part is knowing what might this turn into if he stays on this trajectory and this professionalism for his career. And the crazy thing, Jay, is you can look at like I've, I keep mentioning the different type of routes he runs. Our post game show uh, on Vikings.com always features next gen stats, which you can go out and get. If you look at his route charts, like right now, I have in front of me, for example, the route chart from the Carolina game. And it is 
hilarious looking. I mean, it is, it is all, it looks like a madman scribbles. There, his usage is all over the place in every which possible way. And, and that's the thing that these guys all have in common. Randy Moss, Colston, Anquan Bolden, and Odell, their usage looked like this. It looked like, get this guy the ball wherever the hell we can get this guy the ball. I agree, and that, that was the big question mark coming out of LSU. Oh, he, he only has his 18 touchdowns all from the slot position. He came into the NFL and, and grabbed a hold of that deep ball position. I mean, it's been Adam Thielen who's like the red zone guy and, and kind of short yardage guy for the Vikings this year. Justin has been the guy down the field um, leading the team in yards. It's been amazing the roles that those two guys have taken on um, in this offense and, and the role that Justin took on when Adam was out with COVID. I mean, it's unbelievable that when Adam was out, Justin still had the same impact on an NFL game as a rookie. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking back to Laquan Treadwell and this guy, and it's just unbelievable what we got out of this draft pick and what we got out of that Stephon Diggs trade. It's amazing. And I think it's uh, – that's the most this, – this might end up being one of the biggest win-win trades in modern NFL history. <laughs> that, that this has panned out so well for both organizations. And, and it's great news for the Vikings because had you shipped Stefan Diggs off to go be one of the top, if not the top wide receivers in the NFL this season and gotten a Laquan Treadwell-style return – that would have been difficult, but they hit a home run, and every week Justin Jefferson uh, keeps hitting home runs. Before we go into the Bucks game, I want to shine a light on one more thing. The special teams' mistakes continued to a certain degree again this week. Uh, it really reared its head in the area of missed kicks, obviously. But we talked a few weeks ago about the, the punt coverage unit and Chisena maybe overplaying, maybe getting a little bit off balance. Let's talk about, despite it being a game that we think we should have closed out in regulation, when you have that mistake early in overtime, you're backed up against your goal line, you, you, know, you get a little bit of movement with Cook, and then you have to, you have to punt. For Britton Colquitt to not only boom that punt, for Chisena to get down there and properly get in front, balance himself, and make that play. I thought of you on that play. It was, I mean, I, 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 like, I, sh- I shouted his name like I was his dad. To get back in a moment like that, that was so important. I mean, that was, and then the penalty on top of it, I mean, that, that field flip is the reason we're still in the playoff race, in my opinion. It's one of the underrated plays of that game. Like, that play, including the penalty um, on Jacksonville, that was like a huge field flip that the momentum was totally going to the Jacksonville side of the ball, especially after they just scored that touchdown. I mean, that play is probably one of the most underrated plays of the season. I mean, that was a season-changing play that now we won that game, which we had no business winning. We really had no business winning that game on Sunday. I think I I, I put that in our text thread, no matter what happens in this game. I don't even I, – I don't feel good about it. I think Kirk Cousins uh, – we were talking about what emotion do we feel after the game. He said maddening. I mean, Cy, what was your word again? <laughs> Bewilderment. I think I used bewilderment. Bewildered. 
maddening from Kirk Cousins. I was like, I think I was angry and disappointed and frustrated. I had like four of them, Jay. So that play. Chris was like a doctor whose son wants to be a professional <laughs> skateboarder. A hundred percent. And that play made me feel a little bit better, especially because um, Cy was hating on our good friend Dan Chisena earlier in, in, in uh, the First season. of all, I was not. You are such a snake course. So I was not hating on him. I was literally noticing a thing and trying to hope it would go better. And guess what? It he listened did. to you. <laughs> he did not listen to me. He just quit putting me in an unfair spot, Chris, or I'm going to drive out to your house and stand at a safe distance and shout at you. Jay? <laughs> the thing that was encouraging for me was the fact that Jacinta actually got a shout out from Zimmer in one of the press conferences. Somebody asked about special teams playing better, asked about Dan Jacinta, you know, being in position and making the play. And Zimmer said it was great to see him have that kind of a play at that crucial part of the game. And we are going to dissect this season at the postmortem. And we're going to look at specific moments in specific games that flipped the wrong direction and went the right direction. And in a game that we absolutely had to have to have Chisena on top of the penalty to push him deep in their end zone and then to then get the turnover and be able to close out the game and have Dalvin Cook pound eight straight runs in order to get them within position to to win it. It was just, you finally saw the errors went out the window and that one big play led to the final drive that actually had them win the game. So it was good to see Dan get off the schneid. It was good to see something that was pointed out and wrong from before get fixed. And hopefully those other small things that we keep talking about week to week, those things over the next four weeks will be able to right themselves as well and put us into a good position for the playoffs. And speaking of heading in the right direction, join Adam Thielen and the Salvation Army in providing food, shelter, and care for our neighbors in need. Text SKOL, that's SKOL, S-K-O-L to 24365-24365. I don't know why I said it weird, but that's what you can text to to donate money. Download the official mobile app of the Minnesota Vikings today for either your Apple or Android device. Watch game highlights, press conferences, and exclusive Vikings Entertainment Network content. Stay up to date on the latest team news and much more. Customize your app experience via push notifications so you never miss out on breaking news or fan promotions. Search for Minnesota Vikings in the app or Google Play stores. For information, it's vikings.com app i think the real guys disappointment for me from sunday it wasn't even that it was a win that wasn't pre- it was simply i looked at the jags game as an opportunity to get right you know sometimes as a, as a sports team as a group things can snowball and trends become reality and you start to believe your trends and, and you know, obviously, it's been a rough few weeks of special teams. It's been a rough few weeks of turnovers. It's been a rough few weeks of penalties. You have these trends that have kind of been stacking, and I thought, hey, this is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Here's your chance to get right. And unfortunately, you got the win, but you didn't necessarily get right. Well, now you're, you're thrown right into the fire because now you are going to have to do that. You are going to have to get right against the greatest quarterback of all time, 
a dynamic offense, one of the better teams in the NFC despite their recent performances. They're coming off a bye. They've had two weeks to prepare for you. This is the test of tests for me. And Chris, it's I'm not the sort of guy who wants to win against backup quarterbacks or sneak out games that they shouldn't have won or or beat a crappy schedule to make a run to the playoffs. This is the moment that I that I've been waiting for. I I hope we make it to the playoffs, but battling to six and six and controlling your own destiny so you can play a guy, a quarterback that you've never ever beaten, and, and give yourself a chance to even further your movement towards the playoffs. This is the moment for me. This is the exciting moment of the season. I know a lot of fans are nervous. They really want this win. But this is where you get to show that you aren't the team you were earlier in the season and, and that these forward-moving trends are real and that the backward-moving trends are, are just that. They're mirages. They're not going to stick around. Yeah, and this team has not been hot lately. They're on a two-game losing streak. I know they were on a bye this past week, which gives them an extra week for that to really sit and they were able to sit down and watch us play the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. But, man, I would just love for us to just put this team in their place, hit them with a three-game losing streak. Tom Brady has not been able to throw the ball consistently down the field this season. I think everyone in the NFL knows that as of now. And their running backs, they do not have a steady or substantial running game this season. Uh, Fournette has been... I mean, a shell of himself of what he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Ronald Jones has had a ton of fumble problems this year um, for the team. So I think it's just about stopping some of these big weapons. And and it's going to be tough. You're going to have to find ways to stop a Mike Evans, a Chris Godwin, Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. I mean, there's so many weapons that I I just hope our corners can figure it out in this game. I want to see a Cameron Dantzler step up. I think he's really got to step up in this game because we know what Gladney can do. We know what some of the players that have been out there all season. We need him to step up, and we need Eric Kendricks to get healthy, Si. Absolutely. And, and Jay, I'm going to throw it to you because I don't share uh, Chris's approach. Chris, Chris just painted this team like they're like, Oh, uh, well, you know, lost a couple. Brady can't throw anymore. The running backs can't run. I don't buy that sh- for a I second. Like I, I, I understand that you don't like he Tom Brady, but you, can, you cannot like Jeff Bezos, and he still has a ton of money. Jay, uh, to me, I'm not anticipating a unit that's trending downward in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm actually anticipating coming off a bye with four games left, getting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at their absolute most dangerous. Tom Brady has done this his whole life, December football, and you gave him a week off to walk into December football. I think you're going to get the best version of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers you've seen maybe all season sans that Packers game. I think you're going to get the best version of them, and in order to compete, you're going to have to step up, execute, and win the game, not not lose the game. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that Tom Brady has proven over the years, it's that this is his time to shine. And I think you're now talking about the fact that they've lost three out of their last four games. Tom Brady has been getting criticized in the public. The coach has been actually throwing a little bit of shade just in some of his answers when people keep bringing up Tom Brady to Arians. Um, and, and the guys they've lost to, they've lost to New Orleans, the Rams, and Kansas City in that three out of four game losing streak. 
And they might I as think, well be playing the Monstars each week. It's not like they lost to. It's not like they lost to the 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 Jets and then the Jets and then the Jets again. But that's my point: is that they're looking now at, at the rest of the season for these last four games. They're kind of looking at us as we're the hot team now. That's won five out of the last six, and after us is Atlanta, Detroit, Atlanta. So for them to feel like they got a good quality win against a good quality opponent and potentially start to to dwindle our playoff uh, possibilities. And then the fact that there's a chance they could play us again in the playoffs. I just think if you're Tampa right now and you're Tom Brady and you've had these last two weeks to stew and essentially the last month to stew over the way that your season has gone and all the criticism you've got, I think they're coming at us with both barrels. And I think it's not even going to be close because they're going to blitz like crazy on our offense. They know that Delvin is going to be the, the main point of our offense. And I think overall Tampa, Tom is going to be completely rallying that, that entire team and saying, we need to make a statement against this team and let them understand who the better team is. And if they don't, now you're talking for the last three weeks, everyone's saying, yeah, but it's Atlanta, Detroit, and Atlanta. And what does this team really have in the playoffs if if they actually make it? Because there is a chance that we leapfrog into the number six position in the seating. And that is a huge thing for us. And that is a huge problem for them because then they got to scramble to get right and just try to squeak in there into that six or seven seed for the rest of the playoffs. So for me, Tampa is going to give us everything that they have this Sunday, and it's going to be a great game to watch. Chris, you mentioned the weapons, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, but it seems like Mike Zimmer is thinking about stopping Gronk. Uh, He said in a presser, we may have to have more than one guy on him, which seems not odd, but you don't hear that a lot, devoting multiple defenders to a tight end that has a very good uh, group of receivers. Uh, but we saw what happened last week without Kendricks. You may be without Kendricks again. This the priority number one for this team has to be getting after Gronk, who might not be the Gronk of five years ago, but he's healthy and he's playing really, really well. And like Tom Brady, he knows what December means. This, these are guys who have, have have put effort in all season, but they have brought themselves to this moment yeah and if you told me Gronk would have over 500 yards four touchdowns 37 receptions at this point in the season I'd I'd probably laugh at you at the beginning of the season I mean he has been somewhat a part of what he did back in New England like he still has that ability he's still a mismatch Um, I would love for Eric Kendricks to run with him around the field a little bit um, with the way he's been dropping in coverage but I think it's going to have to be an Eric Wilson or um, maybe it's even a Todd Davis. Uh, Troy Dye is another name that comes to mind. We saw him step in pretty well um, in that game against the Jaguars. These linebackers are going to be the ones who are going to have to really contend. Maybe Cameron Dantzler can can help out there, but but I think Dantzler is going to want to be lined up um, with Mike Evans, the tallest wide receiver in the crew here. So, Like I said before, there's so many weapons that they're going to have to combat, and uh, when when your when your secondary is is this young and, and and inexperienced, they're going to really have to step up to the plate here, especially with the fact that Holton Hill is now completely off the roster. He is not a part of this team anymore. So, uh, I, I I'm looking at a, a little cover four zone or something like that. I don't know what what Zimmer's going to draw up. Maybe it's the double A gap blitz, but. But you're 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 showing it and, and stepping back in coverage. Like I, I'm thinking from X's and O's standpoint, 
I'm sure Mike Zimmer is going to have something dialed up for the, for all these weapons. Well, from a strategic and X's and O's standpoint, I won't go into film here and specifics, but if you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how they're playing on paper, kind of alluding to what I said earlier, this is, this is basically, I'm not saying they're Viking kryptonite, but they are what the Vikings haven't had to deal with in this stretch. I mean, yes, the Green Bay Packers are a dynamic offense, but we played them in a hilarious windstorm. You know, since that game, we haven't seen a marquee offensive head coach with a bunch of weapons and time to prepare for this young defense. You've played a a Carolina Panthers team without Christian McCaffrey. You've played a Cowboys team led by Andy Dalton. You've you've played a Bears team that's falling apart, uh, a Lions team that was on the verge of firing Patricia, and now a Jags team that had Mike Glennon. So this... This is, since your resurgence, Jay, this is your first real defensive test of a, in my opinion, of a high-level playoff caliber. Yeah, I think like you just said, it's going to be strength on strength. It's going to be, where this game makes me nervous is similar to the week one game against Green Bay, where we walked in and their strengths were dynamic quarterback, dynamic wide receivers, top tier tight end that was, you know, able to make us pay and a running game that was solid, but not necessarily the focal point of their offense. And that team just lit us up. And so I'm hoping that the experience that we've had over the season will help with that a little bit, but it's not just an offense. It's also on defense. We want to run the ball, their defensive line and their, their, their front seven is incredible. And so all of those things are going to be in play. And and to be honest with you, moving forward, especially for the playoffs, this is the kind of caliber team that we're going to see. So you're going to find out here this week and with the New Orleans game coming up because they have a very similar defense, what you're going to be needing to handle. And if you can at least make this one competitive, if not get the win, then at least you can find where some of the holes are left to fix over the next three weeks because you're going to need to get that New Orleans game. I mean, in in most scenarios, you need to either get Tampa or you need to get a New Orleans. You need one of those in order to help solidify that, that playoff run. And for me, I just feel like if defensively and offensively, the, the planning on the coordinator side that they can try and shore up some of those weaknesses – this is going to be a game that you're going to find out, yes, it's possible, or no, it's not. And if it's not, you're going to have some hard sledding here for the next three weeks. Yeah, and I would argue I think you're going to need both of them. I think you're going to need to run the table. I think you're going to probably, given the schedules, the other teams you're competing with face and the fact that you do not own a tiebreaker with the Seattle Seahawks, you're probably going to need to get both those games and your two divisional wins. And and you're right. That's where I was going to head next in terms of matchups here is the defense and this dominant front seven. You know, a resurgent in Dominican Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaquille Barrett and the linebacking core. I mean, 27 combined sacks this year, eight forced fumbles. But maybe more importantly, they are the number one rushing defense in the NFL, giving up less than 75 yards per game. I think it's 74.2 to be exact. And the Vikings want to control the clock. The Vikings want to run Dalvin Cook. The Vikings want to play good defense. Well, now it's a dynamic offense and a team that goes, you are not going to run on us. And this, I know this is a, they're different players, different styles. And I'm not saying the Bucks are the Chicago Bears. 
But this is, this is, we've seen this in our division in, in the last few years where we want to go in and run to beat a good football team. And the Chicago Bears front seven has come in and said, no, we are not going to allow you to run. And we are going to get pressure with just a few guys. That's the thing. If, if they can do that good of a job of stopping the running back and they can get pressure with three four, maybe an extra guy, five. If, if they can get consistent pressure when they're outnumbered, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, and I think that's where you need to definitely avoid your third and five or longer scenarios. You're going to need to pick up two, three, four yards per, per clip on first and second down to get to those short yardage pieces because then they have to play a little more honest. They have to play, are you really going to run the ball for two more yards or are you going to potentially pass it? And I, I think it's kind of weird if you really look at it. Tampa plays in a style where they use the run to set up the pass. They have Tom Brady. They want to do it that way. A couple of weeks ago, we brought up on the show saying, you know, what if this offense turned into more of a dynamic passing offense? Well, that might be a necessity this week, because if they do stuff the run as consistent as they have the rest of the season, then you're going to need Kirk and the wide receiving core and even those tight ends to be picking up those short and intermediate passes to move the sticks. So you got to get patient. You got to give Kirk time. And maybe it's something where Kubiak is, is helping dial up those quick passes and quick screens to help with that, to keep them honest. But they have some serious studs in that linebacker and, and front three core that can wreak some havoc, even in the, the coverage game for them. So it's going to be a challenge this week, and I really think Kubiak has been doing some some beautiful and smart setup for the last three games, and I'm hoping that a lot of that was leading up to this game in order to finally unleash exactly what they want to do to, to beat this Tampa Bay defense. That's absolutely my hope, too. And one of the positives here is the Buccaneers have not been a dominant time of possession football team this year. They, I think they're actually trailing overall in time of possession in games, which leads to your, excuse me, leans to a Viking advantage given, you know, these teams that have been really effective of trying to play towards 40 minutes of, of possession time are the teams that have really put us on the wrong side of a loss. But let me throw something at you here before we bring in our special guest, Jay. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Kirk Cousins, you like that moment was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 2015, he goes up, and, and, and everybody, everybody, I think, forgets, and maybe they don't forget, uh, but I, I don't think people understand what his trajectory was like before that game against the Buccaneers. Something like 24 touchdowns, 27 picks. He, he was looking to be on track of nothing more than a placeholder for the rest of his career. They go down 24 to zero. He throws three touchdowns in the second half, including a game winner with under a minute left, runs in the tunnel, shouts you like that. For the rest of the season, I think he goes like something absurd, like 23 and five. I should know my numbers better, but he goes something absurd, interception session. And since then, it's been like 150 to 40 in TDs and interceptions. Well, Kirk needs a second you like that moment. It's, he, need, he needs to, uh, I don't want to paint a Disney movie here, but he needs to call up the ghost of that moment, the history of that moment, and take it to an even greater level. Because with the focus on Delvin, with this good of a defense, I think you're right. I think they've been setting some things up for a few weeks now. 
and now, you know, you hear him talk about singles and doubles, not triples and home runs. Well, now we need both. This is a game where I think it's time and I think it's very possible that we see Kirk and the offense come out and go, hey, by the way, we can hang 30 on you. We can – and if, by the way, and if they do that and don't turn the ball over, the defense should be able to hang with this offense. Kirk, getting that – you like that moment when I think a lot of that was the criticism was saying, well, he's just the average quarterback and he can't get it done, right? And then he had that game and then he got some confidence and then people started to see what the real Kirk Cousins was like. And then ever since then, he's been kind of in this mid-range and like you said, if you get to this point now with the you like that moment and you want a, a part two, if you get to this game and you see Kirk hang one on him and we put 30 plus on this team and we get a win out of it in a defining game for the season after everything we've been through all of this year, that's where you can see him take that next step into that upper echelon and people start to realize, like uh, Justin Jefferson was saying, you know, stop playing with with Kirk Cousins like this guy is on a different level. And I think. Tampa understands you got to get pressure on this guy or he's going to carve you up. Now, to the second part of that, I think part of it for me with this team and with Kirk and with the setup and everything that's been going on, we've been talking about you have not played a perfect game. And in not playing a perfect game, that means you've been putting some points on the board, but it hasn't been exactly what you needed because you've been missing field goals, you've been missing extra points, you've been leaving fumbles on the goal line kind of a situation like we had last week. With this Tampa Bay team, you have to get the points. In the games where Tampa has lost this season, the opponents have averaged 29.2 points per game. In the games where Tampa has won, the opponents have averaged 19.1 points per game. That's a 10-point swing. Think about what we missed this past Sunday, and that means that you're probably going to lose this game against Tampa because they're going to capitalize on your mistakes. So, you got to execute on offense. You got to punch the ball in when you get within the red zone, and you got to hit your kicks on special teams. These are all the things we've been saying we've been nervous about, given all the issues we've had. Finally, clean it up against this Tampa team, and you will win this game. Couldn't agree more. Vikings Live comes to you from TCO Studios on Thursday nights during the regular season. The show is a midweek look at the Vikings featuring a live player interview plus expert analysis and all the latest Viking stories from the week. It's live Thursday nights, KMSP Fox 9, or via Vikings digital and social channels including Vikings.com, Vikings mobile app, Vikings Now, the team's connected TV app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. For information, vikings.com slash vikingslive. Uh, let's get over to our guy, Chris Corso, who had a chance to sit down with Todd Davis, who stepped in and played fantastic for Eric Kendricks last week. Uh, you know, a guy that got signed midseason and has done nothing but provide the exact sort of depth that this team needed. Uh, they talked about his experience this season, his time with Gary Kubiak, and uh, how he views the matchup this Sunday in Tampa Bay. So, Chris, go ahead and take it away. Thanks to our friends at Microsoft Teams, we bring in the Vikings' leading tackler from last week, Todd Davis. What's going on, man? How are we doing? Doing great, doing great. Glad to be here. So you stepped into a huge role for the Vikings last week. Eric Kendricks goes down with that injury uh, during pregame warmups, which was a shock to, I think, just about everybody on the team. So um, you're a veteran in, in this league. And what was your kind of thoughts going into that game and stepping into that big role? I felt like I just had to step up. Um, I definitely had some big shoes to fill. 
you know, he's definitely the team leader. Um, I think one of the guys that everybody looks to on the defense that kind of gets things going. So I definitely felt like I had to step my game up and play well uh, last Sunday. You certainly did that. You had 11 tackles tied for a team high. Do you, when, when that happens in that moment, were you just like super excited to get out on the field or were you like, oh, damn, I got to get, I got to get ready here and, and get going kind of what was your mindset? I want to hear more about your mindset there. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. You know, I was super excited to get back on the field um, and play some football. Um, that's what I really love to do. Um, but it was also like, man, I got to get ready to go. Um, you know, I haven't really been able to play a full game si- since last December. So I was worried about my win and worried about how tired I would be. But it you know, overall went good and I felt good about it. What'd you, how'd you feel about your performance in the game? I mean, just watching it from the broadcast, I, I mean, you were all over the field. You're making plays here and there, stopping the run game, um, even a little bit in coverage as well, uh, alongside Eric Wilson, who's had quite the season. So uh, what'd you think of your performance in the game and, and, and how do you think it all panned out? I felt good about it. I always feel like I can get better. Um, there's a couple of things I need to clean up. Uh, I want to shore up my tackling. You know, I haven't been able to do that in a while, so – you know, all that comes back together, you know, with with trial. So um, felt good about it, but I'm excited for moving forward. So as I talked about, you're a seven year veteran. You you had a great career with the Denver Broncos. How in the heck were you a free agent when the Vikings were able to pick you up? I, I need to know how you were available out there because Anthony Barr goes down and that was a huge uh, big time injury and, and big where uh, I mean, we're missing him definitely on this Vikings defense, but how are you available to just be picked up off the street? You know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I had <laughs> a year left in my contract with the Broncos and uh, kind of got hurt towards the beginning of training camp. Um, and maybe that was it. I'm not sure. Can't tell you why, but everything happens for a reason. And I'm happy to be here. Did you want to go to the Vikings? Did you kind of have a say in where you wanted to go? I'm sure there were multiple teams that were interested uh, in signing you when that happened. So um, did you really say, hey, this this place is special, they have a chance to win here, or um, did you kind of have a decision in the matter? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was definitely a couple of teams that gave me offers, but um, I kind of waited to the right opportunity. I felt like presenting itself. And, you know, when the Vikings came along, um, I really felt like it was a great fit for me. Uh, and, you know, I think everything's working out still to this day. I want to go back to your career with the Broncos because you won a Super Bowl. So that's something that not many players in this locker room with the Vikings can say. So uh, what does it take to win a Super Bowl? And how are you trying to bring that mindset in the places that you've gone since then? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like, you know, to win a Super Bowl, it's all about consistency. And I think that's what this locker room, you know, is building uh, day in and day out. Um, I think if you look at how we started, you know, since the bye and the way we are consistently battling teams and fighting to the end and learning how to win those close games, um, I feel like that's the biggest thing in the National Football game. National Football League is everybody's good. But if you can win those close games, that's how you really turn your season and have a Super Bowl winning team. Absolutely. And you guys have done that as of late. I mean, you were one and five. Now you're back to six and six, winning a, a ton of games as of late. Um, I, I have to think that Gary Kubiak, your former coach with the Denver Broncos, had some sort of uh, connection there when the Vikings signed you this season. Am I correct on that one? Uh, man, I hope so. Uh, Kubiak, <laughs> you know, he's a, a one of a kind coach. You know, I love him to death. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to start. Um, you know, one of my favorite head coaches I've ever had in my, you know, life. Um, definitely, Coop. I um, have a lot of respect for him, and I'm glad that he's here with me. 
Yeah, so you won a Super Bowl with that man, and now you join him back here with the Vikings. What was like when you first saw him? Did you did you did you guys kind of catch up and and talk football or anything? Like, I know you're on different sides of the ball, but obviously Gary has been a head coach in this league for a long time. So did you guys have a chance to really connect? And I'm sure you're still connecting as this season continues. Yeah, it was definitely good to you know get back in touch with him. We talked, and uh, you know he still remembers me as the young. Uh, you know, linebacker that he allowed to start, uh, you know, his third year in the league. But I've grown up a little bit from that. But I definitely love Coob and he's taught me a lot. And even being here, he's helped me, you know, get through the transition of uh, being on a new team and finding my new role on this roster. Um, so definitely love him a lot. I was reading up, you have this nickname, Bam Bam. Do people still call you that? I, I think it was Brendan. Was it Brendan Marshall who gave you that nickname there with the, with, with the Broncos? I, I mean, tell Vikings fans kind of how you got that nickname and, and if it kind of describes the way you play play linebacker. Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually got that name uh, from my aunt when I was about three years old because, you know, oh, wow. you know, from the Flintstones was always tearing stuff up, and that's how I was around the house, always knocking things over and turning things up. So uh, my family started calling me Bam Bam. And then it just kind of translated <laughs> into kind of the way I play. I like to hit hard, um, you know, make big plays. Um, I really like to be physical, you know, in the run game. Uh, so I think I like to say I play like Bam Bam. I mean, for them to name you that early on in your life, and that's literally what you have done and made your career on for a living, that's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of Super Bowls, we were talking about Super Bowls before. Gary Kubiak has a bunch of them, but uh, the quarterback you're playing next week also has a bunch of them, and, and that's Tom Brady. I believe our PR staff said you've played him three times in your career. Uh, so kind of tell us about those experiences and, and what you expect on Sunday in one of the biggest games for the Vikings this season. Yeah, I played against uh, Brady a couple times in my career. Um, I think that we have a really good chance to beat him. Um, I think that our game wow. plan going into this um, is going to be great against what he likes to do. Um, he's definitely somebody who likes to get the ball out of his hands um, as quick as possible when he sees a read open. Um, but I think we'll be prepared for him coming Sunday, and um, I think we'll be ready to go for sure. Can you can you sack him for me this week? That would be, like, really fun to watch. Like, I, I would love to see that happen. <laughs> if I get an opportunity, I definitely am going to take him down. There's a lot of weapons on this Buccaneers offensive side of the ball, but one that really stands out to me um, is Rob Gronkowski. So uh, he still has over 500 receiving yards this year, four touchdowns. Many wouldn't expect him to still be doing it. Um, A lot of teams attack him with that linebacker position that you play. So um, how do you plan on stopping him on Sunday? You know, I think it'll be um, a team effort. You know, sometimes it'll be me. Sometimes it'll be a safety. Sometimes it'll be a corner. I think we have a good game plan, uh, like I said, for the whole offense. So we'll we'll be ready to go. Last question. Are you excited to play in some warm weather? I mean, I see you're a California kid and you've spent most of your career in Denver and now you're in freezing cold Minnesota. So what is it like to play a rare uh, warm weather game for the Minnesota Vikings late on, later in the season. I know. I really wasn't expecting to have any warm games um, late in the season, but I'm excited for this one. I'm gonna be. It'll feel good. We'll have some fans in the stands, so we'll have some energy. Uh, so I think the warm weather plus that energy is going to make for a great game. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Good to get to know you a little bit. Yes, sir. Thank you. Huge thank you to Chris and Todd Davis for joining us, taking a couple of minutes this week. Uh, Given Todd's experience and his increased responsibilities in Week 13, look for him to take on a bigger role here in the final 
quarter of the season. Uh, let's go from Chris Corso to Eric Smith. Eric Smith, once again, got to sit down with the opposing team's team reporter. This week, it's Casey Phillips from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They talk Brady fitting in and his receiving weapons, Antoine Winfield Jr., etc., etc. Take it away, Eric. I'm Viking team reporter Eric Smith, and I'm happy to be joined now by reporter Casey Phillips of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Casey, thank you for coming on today to share some insight with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Tampa Bay is coming off its bye week, and I think that last week was the last possible week for a team to have a bye. So the Buccaneers should be well rested for this game on Sunday. Given that the Buccaneers have lost three of four before the break, what was kind of head coach Bruce Arian's biggest focus during the bye? You know, he said really it was about getting healthy, that that is the thing with having a really late bye week. 12 weeks in a row of football had really taken its toll, and um, even guys who were playing were playing really banged up. I mean, wide receiver Chris Godwin broke a finger and had to have like six pins put in it and only missed one game and was scoring touchdowns with pins still in his finger, which he just got removed. So uh, I, it's just crazy to realize that even the guys who were playing and playing well we're playing hurt. Um, so I think that, that health really was actually the biggest focus. And then, of course, he talked about they were all going to do some self-scouting, um, asked about it since then. It's, he said, really, the answers are what we already kind of thought they were before going into the bye week. It wasn't that there were any big revelations that happened when they did the self-scouting, but um, just more about execution, uh, especially not letting yourself get into some rough third down situations on either side of the ball. So it sounds like they didn't have a eureka moment um, that they already kind of had a lot of the answers and it was just about getting healthy and being able to execute it. I think when you look at the Buccaneers in 2020, you obviously cannot talk about the team without bringing up Tom Brady, you know, a, a huge free agent acquisition this offseason. What's kind of his first season in Tampa Bay been like on the field and how has he transitioned to a new team, obviously after 20 seasons with the Patriots? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think that because he's Tom Brady, uh, people forgot that no matter what, if you are a quarterback with new wide receivers or wide receivers with a new quarterback, that's going to take some time to develop. And when it's the first time joining a new team in 20 years and it's without an offseason, without preseason, um, this was going to be you know, not quite as easy as I think everybody, or automatic maybe, as everybody assumed it would be that he'd come out week one and be throwing six touchdowns a game. Um, but I think considering the weird offseason and lack of time they have had to gel, and I mean, you're even adding Antonio Brown late in the season that it's it's been pretty impressive we've seen um a lot of deep balls be hit it's not like they haven't hit them at all and it, it definitely seemed a little bit better this last week after a bit of a drought um so yeah I mean it, and I know the guys on the team regardless of what some of the stats say he has elevated the play of a lot of people simply because you know the guys have said if you're playing with the goat you don't want to disappoint him you're going to be if he's practicing hard you're definitely going to practice hard he's really set a tone for um just work ethic, attitude, leadership, um, accountability, all of that that I think really has paid a lot of dividends, even if sometimes maybe people are surprised that some of the balls that he hasn't hit that maybe they thought he would. But again, it's just, it, and we've seen improvement over the course of the season. So I think that it's, it's only going to get better. Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer was very praiseful of Tampa Bay's defense uh, this week. You know, they have a lot of standout guys on that side of the ball. But there's a rookie that, you know, his name is quite familiar to Vikings fans. Uh, that's obviously Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, what impact has he made in his rookie season? That guy's incredible. I mean, it's, it really doesn't feel like he's a rookie at all. Um, coaches have just been singing his praise like crazy, both for his play on the field and just the way he approaches 
everything. He's so, very humble, very hardworking, um, very coachable. All, all of the things that these coaches want and love. He's not this big attention-seeking guy. He's just come in so level-headed. And again, without an offseason, without a preseason, that of all years that rookies should not have succeeded early – he was coming out there week one, earning the starting job and proving why. He's made big splash plays. There has not been one second that he has looked like a rookie. And again, if that's coming off of just the weirdest offseason in the world, I, I can't imagine what his future could potentially hold. So yeah, we are very excited to have him here. We have four games left as we enter week 14. And if the season ended today, both Minnesota and Tampa Bay would be in the playoffs. You know, both teams can kind of strengthen that depending on who gets to win. How much have the Buccaneers talked about that and kind of talked about the importance of getting a win Sunday for postseason purposes? Yeah, Bruce Arians was asked about that this week, and he said that it was, quote, a huge game. And Bruce isn't always the kind of guy to give a lot of hype to things. So for him to say that, I think, was actually a pretty big statement. They know that they essentially hold their future in their hands that, you know, if the Bucks win out the last four, they're guaranteed a spot. And even if they win three out of four, it looks pretty good, but just kind of depends maybe the seating there. But this particular game against you guys is the most important single game by far of that, where you do really solidify your spot and, and get some people coming behind you, trying to chase you down off your back. So, um, I like that this is the first game of these last four because it will really tell them how important the rest of them are and what they're going to need to do. Cause if the bucks were to lose on Sunday, they would probably feel the need to win out. Um, so I think, but a win would give them a little bit of a cushion where it wouldn't feel as dramatic to lose a game. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a huge one. And I feel like the timing is really unfortunate since you guys have, you know, gone from one and five to now right on our tails here. Yeah. It's been a turnaround. It's definitely been a turnaround for the Vikings, but for on the Buccaneers side, you know, a, a final question for you, what, what is, what does Tampa Bay believe will be the biggest key on both offense and defense for them to get a win on Sunday? Um, well, defensively stopping the run, which, you know, I think that's probably every team that faces you guys, that's going to be step one. But thankfully that is the Bucks' biggest strength defensively, that this really is going to be one of those games of strength against strength. Um, so that's going to be a fun battle to watch. But, you know, the Bucks' defense was number one in run defense all last season, and they are still – they brought back the majority of that front seven. Uh, they've really continued their dominance in that area. I think only uh, one team has rushed for over 100 yards collectively, and I don't believe we've allowed a single rusher um, by himself to get over 100 yards this season. So that's been uh, really important. So I think stopping Dalvin Cook will be huge. And then getting off to a faster start, which part of that is – stopping you guys and not letting these huge long drives or giving up a lot of opening points, but they haven't been able to get into the offense the way they've wanted to because they've gotten behind in the first quarter. So often they have to abandon the run game and they have to start putting Brady in some tough positions to make a lot of throws that he might not want to because of the fact that you're playing catch up. So to dictate the pace, to dictate, um, the game plan early on by stopping your run and activating our run to control some more of the clock, I think would be really huge. Kathy, we definitely appreciate your time and we look forward to a good one on Sunday. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Big thanks to Eric and thank you, Casey, for joining us. A uh, couple of quick house cleaning things before we get to the other house cleaning things. And, and I'm going to let you speak on this first one, Jay. Eric Kendricks, who's one of my favorite guys in the organization, uh, not just players, men. 
Eric Kendricks was named the Minnesota Vikings nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And given everything he's done both publicly and behind the scenes, it's hard to imagine someone would deserve it more, Jay. He's definitely stepped up this past year to become a true leader, given everything that has gone on in our communities uh, with with everything that's happened this past summer and the killing of George Floyd. Uh, The Social Justice Committee had stepped up their efforts just to try and address some of these difficult societal situations and and see if they can find some real solutions to help out. And in Eric's off time, he and his teammates like Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith and Amir Abdullah and, and many others have been meeting with local law enforcement advocacy groups and local leaders to learn and just to see what they can do to help address some of these issues within society. So in this past, uh, my cause, my cleats game, Eric had all square on his cleats, which is a Minneapolis based restaurant, but they also have programs to help provide former inmates a path to productive futures. Um, the, the heads of every meal, which is a, a child hunger program also spoke out on the positive impact that Eric has had on their group. And then the Hennepin County juvenile detention center, uh, he and a bunch of the players have been going down and speaking with the youth and the heads of the center to try and understand, you know, what, what their situations are and to see if they can help find solutions to some very difficult questions and, and and not only for the kids, but just everywhere and anywhere that they can help. So there's a lot of people out there who are doing lip service, but but Eric and his teammates are out there trying to do something about it and bridge that gap for, for people who are feeling oppressed and other people in leadership positions. So to have Eric be nominated this year is only fitting to help shine a light on what he and his teammates are trying to do and, and to make the world a better place. So a big kudos go out to Eric Kendricks for this year's nomination. Absolutely. Congratulations on a deserving nomination. And, and more than that, uh, you know, just appreciation for being that sort of human being. While so many of us are busy uh, in society arguing about things on Facebook and shouting into the wind, these things are, need to be addressed. They need to be focused on. They need to be solved. They need to be elevated. And, and instead, they've been stolen and put in a place of divisiveness so we can all argue about them. And it's guys and men like and women like Eric Kendricks and some of the other people on this team and this organization who go out and actually are doing the legwork. Eric Kendricks is the exact sort of person and he is the exact sort of leader that these issues need. And he's a guy that I personally look up to when I think about how I want to handle my business and how I want to address uh, the issues that I also believe are very, very important. So uh, a big shout out to Eric Kendricks. And, you know, it's great that he's nominated for an award. I think it's fantastic, but just a kind of a symbolic of something larger. You know, this, the, the Walter Payton Awards are fantastic. I don't mean to belittle them, but I also want to exponentially elevate him above just discussing it from an award standpoint. So we we really appreciate you here in, in Minnesota and what you've done, Eric, with your teammates. And that's the thing, I think, whether you win or not, the fact that you're being nominated is being just a recognition, not only from yourself uh, within the team, but within the local community. And the fact that, you know, there's 32 players in the league that get nominated for this kind of stuff shows that everybody across the league, all these different players are really trying to make a difference in, in many different ways. And so for Eric to take on this very difficult and, and kind of raw uh, issue that has been happening within society and, and taking his own personal time to work on this, like you said, is it's it's a very yeoman's type work. And it's really nice to see that Eric is getting recognition not only from the team, but hopefully on a national level as well. And uh, hopefully whether he wins or not, he's going to be able to help find some serious solutions to some really difficult problems. So again, kudos to Eric Kendricks. 
From off the field recognition to on the field recognition, here's your reminder that the Pro Bowl voting is still going on. And not only is he a great guy off the field, he's an all pro on the field. Get your Eric Kendricks votes in. Get your votes in for all your favorite players. This team is loaded with guys who have achieved on a high level this year. Check out Twitter and drop hashtags to help vote for your favorite Vikings. All you have to do is, is tweet hashtag Pro Bowl vote and the player's name or Twitter handle to cast your Pro Bowl ballot. Uh, here we are, Jay, walking into the most important game of the season against the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, just a quick reminder, check out Under Center this week with Kirk Cousins. C.J. Ham was on it. It was fantastic. Uh, tune into the Vikings postgame live every week, 15 minutes after each game from inside U.S. Bank Stadium. You get a breakdown of the game, including highlights, stats, analysis, and more. Tune in on Vikings.com, the Vikings app, and Vikings social media channels. Vikings Vantage with Chris Corso and Gabe Henderson is on KFAN and our podcast app, KFAN at 6.30 p.m. Uh, now from starting my last question into the promos, back to my, my last question here. You got yourself here, Jay. This is the moment. This is when you were one and five, you didn't, you didn't anticipate you'd have a chance to play a meaningful game against the greatest quarterback of all time and a very, very good football team. Uh, what's, the, what's the main thing you're looking for on Sunday? I think the biggest thing on my end is just minimizing what Tom wants to do. Tom wants to be a quick passer in order to let those super stud receivers and tight ends be able to dominate you. It's what he's done to us in the past when we'd go to Foxborough. It's what he's always done. They use the run to set up the pass, and I think you have to get to Tom Brady. Our pass rush hasn't been the greatest over the last four weeks especially, but this is when you have to get to him because that is when he makes mistakes. That is when he crumbles. He's not as mobile as he used to be. They've had uh, 11 run pass option plays this season, and 10 of those have been passes. Tom Brady's going to pass the ball. So get Tom Brady uncomfortable in that pocket. Try to collapse it as much as possible and squeeze him. If you squeeze him, he might throw those errant picks like he's been doing in the last four weeks. You have to get to Tom Brady. Otherwise, he's going to carve you up. Yeah, and, and my ask this week, Jay, is going to be, I'm not going to say it's unfair, but it's, a, it's, it's large. Uh, because I want to play mistake-free offensive football. You know, we keep having these turnovers on our side of the field, these defensive touchdowns, these, these missed kicks, these, you know, on and on and on, a, 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 a well-executed punt, a fake punt that you get a penalty called on, and it, it ruins the, the opportunity there. So I want to play mistake-free football, but I, I don't want it to be because you honed everything in and tightened everything up. I don't want it to be mistake-free football because you conservative pulled everything all the way in so you were this tight little nutshell that was trying to protect a win because I think what this team has been building for and what Kubiak's been doing and what Kirk has been showing and, and the steps they've been making forward are for this moment when you can come out of your shell and execute while trying to explode. That's, like I said, it's a little bit of a big ask, but what I would love to see is an attack, an explosion without mistakes. So it's you, you had your chance last week to right the ship against the Jags and you didn't do it. So now you're in a situation where you might have to do a couple things here. And if you can do that, Jay, 
if they can get this win in Tampa Bay while doing that, boy, oh boy, that's going to that's gonna be a positive thing for the rest of the season. I would rather have us make mistakes while being aggressive than being conservative and shooting ourselves in the foot. That is right up the alley there for me. I, I just, if you are aggressive and you are able to take those shots when you need to, and you are able to capitalize and try to hit them where they're going, where you know they're going to hit you, they might be a really good rush defense, but if you can really try and take one to them and see if you can get Dalvin going, not only in the running game, but in the screen game and, and make their aggressiveness work against them, that will be awesome. So again, I think you're right. You have to be aggressive this week in order to try to beat a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Chris Corso, uh, Todd Davis, Eric Smith, Casey Phillips. We appreciate it, and we will see you guys all next week.